We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we're here to do our second NFL draft profile for the 2023 class. This is more of a luxury profile. I don't think it's a player necessarily a Giants will take, but I think if he continues to fall or if he does end up falling just based on NFL standards and we've seen with this position to a spot where the Giants feel like it's insane value, they might actually take this player and it would be really interesting. Just a little heads up. Nick and I have been on the move. As you'll notice, you probably see me wearing this ridiculous NFL Shield shirt. I get made fun of by my friends for the shirt all the time. Specific shout out to Joe Matta, my home friend, who always says, why do you wear that Shield shirt? Look at Stan again in the Shield shirt. It is pretty absurd to wear an NFL Shield shirt. I don't respect, I'm not like trying to support the brand or Roger Goodell or anything, but I will say this. You can't tell this from over there, but this shirt is insanely soft. It's one of those like really nicely done soft shirts. So I just like to wear this bad boy because it's super soft, but I mentioned it because you probably saw me wearing it in the last video we did, which is not the same day as today. No, we didn't travel in time. And no, I'm not wearing the same shirt three days later or whenever this is posted. We're recording these videos now because I'm on the move again this week. I will be playing in my first ever World Series of Poker tournament uh, this weekend, starting, I think I'm planning to do day one on Friday. There's three different day ones. It's a main event at Turning Stone Casino. It's actually the first poker tournament I've ever played in. I've played in home organized games, $100 buy-ins, $200 buy-ins, things of that nature. No World Series of Poker before in my life and no major tournaments at a casino. So my first major tournament is a $1,700 buy-in. So I'm really taking this super seriously. So I'll be on the move the rest of the week. Nick was on the move the previous week, but I'm saying that all to say this. I'm back on Monday, this coming Monday. I don't know when this is dropping. And then we're going into full gear. Like we did last year, a podcast a day in April is probably the plan. It's going to be close to April when I get back on Monday. I think it's a couple of days into April. Uh, or I mean, it's a couple of days before April. I'm not even sure of the calendar at this point. Uh, this is a long preamble all to say a lot more pre pro, uh, draft profiles are coming. We're going to start hitting these fast and heavy corners, receivers, offensive linemen, positions the Giants need maybe more. We're going to get interviews again, a lot of interviews, all those things you saw last year. So just keep it locked and loaded. April's a big month, but we got a few more days here of just things going on in both Nick and I's life that uh, you know have prevented those things. But today, Nick, we're going to get to one of my favorite players in the class from a value standpoint. And I'm so happy you finally got a chance to watch him, too, because then I've heard lately that you like his game, too. And that's Zach Charbonnet, the running back at a UCLA, Nick. So maybe give me your first overall impressions from watching Sharps. 
Sharps. Okay, we're going to go with that nickname. Yeah, I'm going first, with Sharps. Firstly, we will get to Zach Charbonnet, but I think we have to acknowledge the Bobby McCain signing that happened probably maybe yesterday as you're listening to this. The Giants went out, they signed Bobby McCain. Bobby McCain is somebody I didn't watch his 2022 film yet because this just happened about 40 minutes ago. He is a player who has played nickel before, but he's more of a safety, kind of that positionless defensive back. If I remember correctly, he played with Patrick Graham back with the Miami Dolphins. He's been with Washington over the last couple of different seasons. The Giants just added him to a one-year deal. And I just felt like it was interesting because on the last podcast, we talked about the loss of Julian Love and how the Giants would look to replace Julian Love. They'll probably still invest, depending on how they feel about Dane Belton, in the draft. But I do believe Bobby McCain, from everything that I understand about him, is a player who can play some sort of role on the back end of that defense. He's a smart player who has played in different defensive styles, defensive philosophies. So he's the new addition to the Giants secondary. Yeah, now they've added two guys to the secondary, both low risk or low um, you know, investments in Leonard Johnson as well. But guys who might be able to stick, we saw, like we said on the last podcast we recorded, we said, and we saw last year, this Giants coaching staff do a really good job of molding corners and the Giants executive staff doing a really good job of identifying corners that fit and, and D-backs that fit the system. Jason Pinnock played really well for the Giants out of nowhere, right? Um, Nick McLeod played really well for the Giants out of nowhere. Fabian Moreau as well. That's three players that really hit out of nowhere, which is more than usual. You usually get one if you're lucky, so... I'm intrigued to see where that signing goes as well. All right. Now on to Zach Chabonet. And that's kind of how I like to say it. I feel like it's a very fancy type of last name. And I really like his game. And like, look, he's not the sexiest in terms of hitting home runs. He's not somebody who is going to hit the hole, explode, outrun safeties, make safety and cornerback angles all jacked up because of his speed. He's not that type of player. At the combine, what did Zach Charbonnet run? Zach Charbonnet ran a four five three. I felt like that probably tracks with his tape. Would you agree? Somebody who was in I agree. Yeah. He's not slow. He's just not going to hit 60 yard runs. But damn, this guy is going to hit a lot of singles. He's going to hit a lot of doubles. He's going to have a lot of six yard runs, seven yard runs, hard earned three yard runs on third and one. That's the type of back he is. He is somebody to me, Dan. The, one of the most fascinating things about Zach Charbonnet is when he is in the alley, say, or just a confined space where there's a linebacker or some sort of defensive player who is going to get a hit on him, he did a sensational job somehow avoiding that contact to make that tackle attempt much more difficult than it had to be. That's one of the things I appreciated so much about Zach Charbonnet. And so some of the tape, I'm just like, holy crap, how the hell did he contort his body that way? He would get hit low, bounce off of a lot of arm tackles, and even some tackle attempts that weren't full-on wrap-up tackles. That contact balance is something that we talked about. I felt like his vision was solid enough. I felt like he set up blocks. I would say to a good level at, at a good level is probably the proper way to, to phrase that. And I think his change of direction, lateral agility, and all of those little athletic markers that happen in a, in a small area are all well above average. So I really appreciated his game. He's not the home run hitter. He has all the receiving skills that you, I, I don't want to say all the receiving skills that you need because his receiving profile was pretty much just, Hey, run a flat. Hey, run a curl in front of the quarterback, simple things like that. But he extends away from his frame. He has good concentration. I feel like he caught the ball, got hit, held onto it through contact. I think there's just a lot to appreciate about this dude who runs with a lot of physicality, but is also a deceptively good athlete. Yeah, Nick, I wrote in my draft profile for CBSSports.com, and you can find all draft profiles on CBSSports.com. Myself and Dave Richard are doing profiles of all the skill players 
Um, it's for fantasy, but we also talk about strengths and weaknesses. I said, when you do this long enough, there are examples when you'll turn on the tape of a player and you'll know after big eight quarters that this is going to be one of your guys in the draft class. And that was me with Charbonnet. I barely needed those eight corners. It started with the Arizona and Stanford games, which we'll probably throw up on this YouTube page. And then I threw on the 2021 game against LSU, an SEC staple that had a ton of five stars on that defense at the time. And Charbonnet is just one of those prospects who somehow without that trump card of having deep speed is so impressive on film. And I think the two biggest trump cards he has that you mentioned. So I see a lot of people talking about Charbonnet like this is not a prospect you should invest in because he doesn't have a trump card. I disagree. I think there are two trump cards to his game. You mentioned both of them, Nick, so I want to reiterate them. The first one is the contact balance. And to me, that's the most important trait for a running back. It's way more important than home run ability. It's that ability to break tackles through contact, to stay balanced through contact, and to shift your weight and your momentum in different directions after contact. I also think his second trump card, though, is what you mentioned, man, which is somehow, some way, when he gets to the edge and he's in that phone booth, he makes defenders miss like somebody who's 200 pounds, yet he's a 220 or 215 pound running back. And he's making these guys miss in space like a 200 pounder. And to me, those are the trump card number one, trump card number two. You mentioned his receiving ability. One thing I like about his game is that he has natural hands. He plucks away from his body with his hands. Now, the biggest net uh, negative to this receiving profile is that he's not a great route runner. He's not a nuanced route runner. He's not using a lot of different routes. Like you said, it was mostly flares. It was a lot of screens. It was basically the Saquon Barkley 2022 receiving profile, right? Like the Giants didn't really use Saquon Barkley very often on many routes because the you know he was good on what they used him on the flare routes the screens but he has that ability to uh, to pluck away from his frame and a natural hands catcher for this running back you saw it right there and that ball that was thrown a little ahead of him and high he does a lot of good jobs adjusting to passes that are in his catch radius because he has a big catch radius but not quite perfect and that's something I like a lot about Zach Charbonnet's profile. I like his ability to transition his body and get upfield. I wrote in strengths. He has a lot of short area bursts, and I think that's something that you also see. He reminded me in a lot of ways of a bigger version of Maurice Jones-Drew, also kind of like a Michael Turner in his ability to have that short area burst. These are all running back from like the mid uh, the mid 2000s, the 2010s area. But I think despite not having that home run ability, Nick, the fact that he has that short area burst will make him, like you said, a singles hitter. But also I think he can be a doubles hitter. And that means like the 10 to 15 yard runs. And those are really, to me, more important ultimately than the home runs that don't come often and aren't really readily available against NFL defenses, even though they might be at the uh, collegiate level. Uh, one more thing I want to go over with you and get your take on because it's not something you mentioned yet, but I'm, I'm curious to see if you saw it on film. When I watched Charbonnet, I felt like one of his best things that he can bring right over to the NFL in year one, Nick, is that he can be an absolute weapon immediately in the red zone. In the red zone, there were a few things I liked. It was not just his bowling ball style and like his strength and power. It was his creativity in the red zone. I felt like he always had a plan. I put this in my notes. I felt like he always had a plan, always to figure out the cutback lanes and get vertical in the red zone. And it made him just a weapon, not from when he was just within the five or the three-yard line. It was like inside the 10, he had a lot of runs, first and goal, the 10, the nine, or the eight, where he figured out a way with not much room to work with to cut back or to creatively get vertical and then find space to get five, six, seven yards, to set up a second and goal from the two. I think immediately he will become one of the better red zone running backs in the NFL. And the way that offense is structured in terms of running the football, they do a lot of stretch, a lot of zone type of concepts, a lot of zone reads. So 
this kind of works against Charbonnet, you could say, like DTR's ability to run Dorian Thompson Robinson, the quarterback at UCLA, may have held a lot of those backside pursuit defenders. But his one cut ability, once he saw a crease, was I would say he he was able to hit that at a very high weight rate. I liked his his jump cutting ability and his change of direction and his footwork when he was pressing the line of scrimmage. And I felt like he did a solid job judging what the linebacker was going to do and forcing him to commit outside when his real intention was to cut inside and just kind of baiting that uh, linebacker, something that we talk about a decent amount on this podcast. I um I really like this game. I wish we had the Arizona game to pull up. We're just kind of going off what oh, YouTube yeah. has right now. Like some some of his games were better than others. Uh, I would say that one of the low low key things that I, that I loved about him was his ability in pass protection. Now that's not why you're going to draft him or anything, but I don't know if you saw his ability in pass protection. Like he's eliminated linebackers, oh, yeah. like planted them, like thrown them on the ground type of strength you know nfl teams and nfl coaches are going to drool over that type of physicality as a blocker because one of the biggest concerns you have when picking a running back is well, what the hell is this guy going to be like in protection can he play three downs and that's one of the reasons why i think this is a three down back look there are better receivers in the in the in this draft class there are guys who are a little bit more fluid than zach charbonnet although i'll, I'll say i don't think he's a stiff out there, but there are running backs who are a little bit more fluid, but you want to talk about a guy who can successfully be a receiving weapon for you can pick up blitzes, who was smart, who ran in power gap scheme, who ran in zone scheme because they did run power gap there as well. And who was just physical and he can make people look silly in an alley. I would say at a, at a pretty, I would say at a good rate, right? If we're going to slap an adjective on it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, look, I think you bring up a great point there, Nick, about his pass protection. He's coming into the NFL already as a guy who could pr profile as a plus pass protector. What does that mean to me? What does that mean to us? It means a player who teams will feel comfortable as a rookie using on all three downs. He could be one of the very few guys in this class, in my opinion, who's a three down running back. It's the reason I have him at RB2 overall over Jamar Gibbs, because Gibbs at 199 and not really good in pass protection or not really tested in pass protection, I should say is not someone I profile as an immediate bet. Sure, he could be an immediate Alvin Kamara type, maybe, possibly. Maybe he's a weapon in your passing game. But Charbonnet, with his ability and pass protection, you just saw a great example if you're watching on YouTube of what we were talking about earlier, where he gets the edge. There's one defender at the end man of the line of scrimmage, and he just makes him miss time after time after time. But one thing about Charbonnet is 
that pass protection will have NFL coaches feeling comfortable about playing him on third down as a rookie. That's not something you see every year. A lot of coaches, you know, it took Saquon Barkley like three years into his career to get pretty good at pass protection. Some backs take a long time and then you're limited in your usage of these guys. That's not going to be the case with Zach Charbonnet. And that's really important to me. Nick, one thing I always like to talk about, and I mentioned this to you a while, and you said they use a lot of stretch, and that's true about this run game. They also use a lot of flare routes where they get the ball to him on the outside like you see here. One thing I always noticed about Charbonnet throughout his film, and I wanted you to see, I wanted to see if you noticed this too. So it's just so interesting to me. I just don't see this with every running back prospect watch. Is on all of those plays, the stretch plays or the plays where they flare it out to him or the screens designed near the sideline. Once he gets to that sideline, Nick, he just never ends up. I mean, you see it right there. There's like one of every 20 plays he'll end up on the ground. Every other time he's just getting hauled up, whistle, 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 and he still remains on his feet. I think that just shows his core strength and his contact balance. And these are two traits that translate at the NFL level. I think you just saw it on the screen if you're watching a fourth and two where he was hitting the backfield and he somehow I love ended that up play, Nick. That's my favorite play on all of his film. Please remind it. I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, it's right here. It's right here. It's right here. And we're watching it on, on the YouTube. He gets hit low and he doesn't go down and he runs over the defensive back, slides inside, and then is able to fall over the top of his offensive lineman for a first. Like that is a that's a big boy play right there. And, and one more thing about Zach Charbonnet. This is somebody who he didn't initially go to UCLA. He was a transfer. He initially went to Michigan, had a productive year at Michigan. He rushed for 726 yards and 11 touchdowns in his freshman year, but he just wasn't a bell cow back there because Michigan's able to recruit these five-star running backs, and they ended up bringing in guys like Blake Corm and, and really talented running backs. So he transferred to UCLA where he was able to have this season that we just saw where he was the bell cow back, where he was incorporated as a receiver and where he handled a lot of different responsibilities, and I really think that did wonders for his draft stock. So this is somebody who has had success, though, at two different programs, two I would say pretty illustrious programs. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like he's just had a little bit of success. The production is elite. And I know a lot of people who do models that prognosticate where running like, or that project how like success will be at the next level for these rookies focus a lot on production. And it was at an insane level for him last year, Nick, he had 1,359 yards. He averaged seven yards a carry dude on a run-first offense where you knew they were run, wanted to run the ball a lot. I know it's a good scheme and it's pretty good blocking, but to average seven yards a carry is absolutely insane. And we're going to get to his yards after contact stats and his force miss tackle stats as well. But I just wanted to first start by saying, man, running averaging seven yards a carry at a, on a Power 5 school is big time. It's huge. It's huge. And you can see it on his tape too. And like I said, there are also other reasons. And I don't want to call them weaknesses, but just realities. Yeah. DPR being on his offense helps him. His offensive line was very good. Definitely. I feel like Chip Kelly does a great job designing plays in uh, college football. And that's something that we've seen for over a decade now. So I think all those things benefited him, certainly. But he was one of the perfect backs for this system. And he thrived in it in 2022, where let me pull up his stats real quick. This past season, he had over 1,300 yards rushing, 14 touchdowns, 37 catches, 321 yards, right? And then last year in 2021, his first year on campus at UCLA, he rushed for over 1,100 yards. So this is somebody who has produced at a very high level. Like I said, two different schools, two different conferences. Yep. And one thing I wanted to back up that I said before, um, you know, we talked about how at the combine, 
you know, he didn't have the greatest 40 yard dash, though. I do think four, five, three at, at 215 pounds isn't terrible. It's pretty solid, but it's evident on his film. He's not a home run hitter. He's not going to hit the 60 yard touchdown runs, at the NFL level. These are things that I don't really focus on as much personally, because I don't think they're available that often at the NFL level. I know Barkley had nine in his rookie season in 2018, but you know, he had two last year, 60 plus yard runs. So that's, you know, and that nine almost broke a record that time, but all of what I said before, like his ability to accelerate and that initial burst through the line of scrimmage in that in that zero to 20 yard range is backed up by his combine. Because despite the fact that he didn't have good testing from the 40 yard dash standpoint, the rest of his combine was amazing. He had a 1.54 second 10 yard split, which is elite. He also had elite jumps in the vertical and the broad jump, which shows his explosiveness as an athlete. So this is not like some bad athlete bruiser type, right? Like this is, we're not even looking, you know, this is more Ramondre Stevenson than it is like a uh, Zach Moss or something for that, you know, yes. like Zach Moss broke a lot of tackles at the collegiate level. Zach Moss created yards after contact at the collegiate level. But I always kind of knew Zach Moss wasn't going to translate that well in the NFL because he didn't really look like that explosive or that quick of an athlete. But this is not the case with Zach Charbonnet. It's not the case with Zach Charbonnet. And I think one other thing that I'm sure if you're watching these YouTube clips, you more than likely picked up, he didn't really run in any kind of traditional set. Basically, everything was at a shotgun or at a pistol. So you could take that for what it's worth. I think every time I saw Dorian Thompson Robinson go just in single back under center, <laughs> it was a counter run every single time. And that happened like four or five times. So I was like, geez, this is getting predictable. But you know what? They were still able to run the football pretty effectively out of it. Yeah, it's surprising. Watch it when you watch UCLA tape, just how well they're able to run the football. I think that's obviously credit to um, not just Charbonnet, but also Chip Kelly, as you mentioned, he's, he's not a great, he wasn't a great NFL coach, but he's definitely a good college coach. And I think part of a, you know, a qualifier as well that I want to put out for Charbonnet is some of the, you know, he averaged whopping seven yards per carry, but you know, he is aided in some ways by the tempo that UCLA plays with as well. There were multiple times when I was watching his film where the, where they just got to the line of scrimmage fast and the defense wasn't really set up and Charbonnet took advantage of that. Absolutely. I think that's another excellent point. We're just trying to be fair here because both Dan and I really like Zach Charbonnet. We think he's going to be successful. He falls into the right situation. I feel like he's going to be a name a lot of people know. Now he has to fall into a situation where maybe he's afforded the opportunity or he seizes the opportunity to be a three down back, which I think is well within his skill set. But those these, these things that Dan and I are bringing up that seem to be detracting from Charbonnet are just realities that, that I feel like have assisted him since he arrived on campus at UCLA. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. But when you look at the overall profile, you know, the ability, he, I love his stiff arm move that you see sometimes when you watch his tape like that, you know, he likes to go to that, but he has other moves, especially like you said, when he's in a phone booth in space, it's really it to me, it's the total package minus the home run ability with Charbonnet. Um, when you consider like his ability and pass protection his and minus not just the home run ability, but like the route running, right? Like we don't see like an Alvin Kamara type route run or anything like that. But when do you ever see that at the, I mean, Naeem Hines kind of had that profile, but very few backs come into the NFL with that profile. No. Yeah, exactly. I'm wondering if he does have a little bit more, like nothing suggests that he can't run routes. He just sure. wasn't really asked to. And I'll say another thing, dude had like, I think two fumbles throughout his entire college career. So yeah. he has like elite ball security, which is something that obviously is going to appeal to a lot of NFL teams. That's an excellent point, Nick, because you know, these are the things that are overlooked by a lot of people when they're trying to evaluate running backs or they decide who their favorites are. The first one you mentioned, which was pass protection, right? How often do you hear people talking about pass protection yet? NFL teams value it so highly. Same thing goes for ball security. How often do you team hear people talking about yet? We know a lot of these coaches value this ball security thing 
crazy high. Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, the Giants. We haven't seen it because we haven't had to because Barkley's a great, you know, doesn't fumble. At, he's another guy who doesn't fumble. But two fumbles on 556 touches for Zach Charbonnet is insane. Those are elite numbers that you don't see throughout the class. And so I think that's just another plus in his column. I'll go over some of my concerns for Charbonnet, though. You've already we've already touched on them all. Uh, for me, the first one is the straight line speed is not there. The home run upside is not there. It's not in the cards for him. He, you know, a five, five, a four, five, four, five, three at two fourteen is not bad, but I think that's about the cap to it, right? Like when you watch his tape, it's not like some guy who you're like, cause some guys I'll, I'll look at like Zay, Zay flowers, for example, who we're going to go over at some point. He ran a four, four, two to me, dude, when he's accelerating in the open field, he looks like a four, three, five athlete to me on the vertical routes. And when he catches the ball in space. Charbonnet's not someone to me who looks like more like a four, four in game speed. He is about four five, three on the long speed. So that's the first one for me. Another one would be what you talked about. He doesn't really have experience running a full route route tree. Again, mostly swing. I put mostly sling passes, swing passes, flares, screens, and receiving game. Though he does have natural hands and he plucks away from frame, which I really like. Um, and then the final thing is like that I that you also mentioned, which is I did think he did benefit from an excellent blocking scheme and well-executed blocks within the scheme. He definitely benefited from that. It's hard to ignore that. And we're watching highlights right now, everybody, from Zach Charbonnet. Some of this, you can see the blocking. This is kind of what Dan and I are alluding to. Like that that play, like Zach Charbonnet finished it very well, but when when you watch him explode through the line, look at look at the blocking. Like yeah. there's there's no one within any sort of distance of him. So that he benefited from that system. But I do believe he is his his traits pop out despite that. Completely agree. And let's take a look at some, let's think of some stats or, or take a look at some stats right now that I want to bring up for Charbonnet that I thought were really interesting. He had 145 rushing first downs and touchdowns since 2021. That leads all power five players, including Bijan Robinson. That's per pro football focus. What do you think about that stat? First downs and touchdowns combined. That's pretty interesting, right? Those are the money down. Those are the money plays. Yeah, those are the money plays. And I just think it's once the, UCLA got down in that area. They're like, all right, we're giving it to Zach Charbonnet. You would imagine that's what Texas would do with Bijan, but UCLA's offense is much more potent, was much better than Texas. And UCLA was a much better team this year than Texas. And one reason why that was the case was Zach Charbonnet and this rushing attack in general, which again, I, I don't think we can, we should undersell that offensive line. No, we shouldn't. Uh, he also had 806 yards after contact, which is 13th most. 122 force missed tackles over the last two seasons. That's third most. And then 26 carries of 15 yards or more in 2022, 15th most. I'm sorry, fifth most. I think that's really where he stands out most for me, his ability to get those chunk plays. And by chunk, I mean the 15-yard range plays. And that's why you see a stat like 145 rushing first downs because a lot of his runs aren't for like three, four, five, six yards. They're like in that 10 to 15-yard range. And that's what really keeps the chains moving. So I'm going to look up rushing attempts on pro football focus, 20%. Of the rushing attempts for for a running back, they if they receive twenty percent of their team's rushing attempts, what was their yards after contact? And I believe Zach Charbonnet has to be up there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Zach Charbonnet is four point one five yards after contact, which is insane. It finished in the top twenty, finished seventeenth out of those running backs who had twenty percent. Let me look at running backs who had fifty percent of their team's carries. Yeah, Bijan Robinson is third. Charbonnet is sixth. Tank Bigsby, the Auburn running back, who I'm sure we'll be talking about, is up there. And then another running back that I love, Tajay Spears from Tulane, is also up in that conversation. And then Southern Miss's 
Frank Gore Jr. But Zach Charbonnet is high on that list. And you can tell because so many arm tackles at the line of scrimmage, this guy just runs through and he's just bouncing off guys. And it's just like, dude, you have to hit him low and wrap him up. Right. If you try to hit him high, he is going to bounce off of you because he is so damn strong. And it's funny because we're watching highlights now that are, you know, in the Utah game. And I thought that game was so interesting because oh when I watched that game, there were so many examples of him finishing runs by instead of like where he's around the sideline. We just saw two in a row. Now this is past that, but finishing runs where he's around the sideline. First round pick, by the way, sorry to cut you off, but for the YouTube audience, the guy, he just juked out of his shoes, Clark Phillips. That guy could be a first round. He's probably not going to probably be day two, but he just did that to him. Sorry. Yeah. And <laughs> what I thought was, you know, on these runs where he's around the sideline, so many of them, he could have just went out of bounds, but he instead always decided to cut back, get vertical and finish by just attacking the defender high and into his body. And what that did eventually, as I was watching through the, the film of that game is I didn't want to say that the Utah defenders quit because this is a good defense. that certainly didn't quit, but you could tell it took a toll on them by the end of that game, that this dude was just attacking into them on every one of these runs, finishing these runs so hard. And I love backs like that. Like when I evaluate backs, it's why I'll always have a guy like Charbonnet. Charbonnet is my RB two in this class over Jamar Gibbs. To me, it's not close. I think Charbonnet has three down upside. Gibbs has two down upside. And I just do. I like the backs in the NFL, like the Ramondre Stevenson types, the Charbonnet types, the guys who are two twenty in that two fifteen to two twenty five range. Great force miss tackles, still great yards after contact, still, but also just punish you and finish runs and always get vertical and force you as a defense to just play such a physical style that day. Like especially if it's a cold day in Giant Stadium in November or December, and you got a guy coming downhill at two fifteen, two twenty, with that much power and core strength attacking you with every one of his runs, never going out of bounds, never trying to avoid contact at the end of a play. It definitely takes a toll on you as a defender. Like if you're these, you know, two hundred pound corners or two hundred ten pound safeties or two hundred five pound safeties, you don't want to take these hits every time he touches the ball. And you have and to. not only exactly, and not only can he run through your face, like we've said, like he has some nimble feet, man. He has quick yeah. feet. He's light on his feet for a back of his size, which is something that I love, right? And I and I feel like his vision is solid. There there might be sometimes where there's a hole, and you're like, you maybe you want him to hit it a little bit quicker, but like. I, I didn't feel like that was an issue. I felt like his vision and his footwork were mirrored together, uh, I would say, pretty well. So there's that, and there's also this, man. Just looking at some of his stats. This guy only had two games, Dan, where he didn't eclipse 100 yards rushing this past season. Wow. That's how, yeah, exactly. It, against Southern Alabama, which I can assure you, he probably only played the first half. Yeah. And USC where he only had 95 yards rushing, but every other game he had over a hundred yards and he had over 180 three times over 190 twice and multiple three touchdown games, like just an absolute finisher. And I'm there with you. I love Jabari Gibbs and we can get into that conversation too. I think he is a different cup of tea. I feel like he might fit some teams and some offenses better than Zach Charbonnet, but I have a higher grade on Charbonnet because I do believe he might, I think he could fit into basically every single offense. You could find a role for him. Whereas Gibbs is a little bit more of that receiving. I've heard Daniel Jeremiah say Alvin Kamara, and I understand that. And what he means by that is like, maybe he can be a three down back, but he's that three down back that you're not giving 15 carries to. Right. He's that three down back that you're giving 11 carries to maybe 12 and then like five catches more of a receiver than a true horse three down back. Whereas Zach Charbonnet, he's a guy who can get like 20 carries and he has that receiving upside and he can pass protect. So that's why I like Charbonnet a little bit better. 
Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. I'm always looking for that true three down workhorse style. And I think you mentioned a point about his hundred yard games and really the only game he didn't rack one up, not including the game he sat against Southern Bama was USC winning 95. Well, guess what? He also had 37 receptions on the year. So I'm pretty sure in that game, he eclipsed the hundred total uh, yard mark in that game. Maybe if he didn't just get it rushing, he adds in receiving every single week. He's an overall back that I love in this class to me, RB two. I still think though, based on, and maybe since he had a much better combine than people expected with the explosive testing, with the change of direction and with the short area burst speed, he's going to go higher than, than I originally thought. Cause I thought, you know, if he runs that four or five in the four or five range, he'll really drop. Cause remember Jonathan Taylor was like a dropped all the way to like round two and like the middle of round two. And he was a much better prospect. I thought than Zach Charbonnet. So with that in mind, but also had some concerns, I guess with just the receiving profile, um, things of that nature, I guess, but he's been a pretty fine receiver with the Colts, but you know, if Taylor's going to go round two, what is Charbonnet going to go, right? Kenneth Walker's going round two. What is Charbonnet going to go? I still think there's a chance that he could potentially be there with the Giants' third-round pick. So let's start by saying this. Is he a player you would be comfortable taking with the second-round pick at 57 overall? So it all comes down to the plan for Saquon Barkley. Say if from now till then the Giants rule out re-signing Saquon Barkley and that's not going to happen and he truly will play on the franchise tag and be a free agent next year, then yes, in the third round, I will entertain it, not in the second round. In the third round, I definitely would entertain it. But if the Giants re-sign Saquon Barkley, no. I think you take if you want to add a running back, then you take one on day three. As much as I like Zach Charbonnet, allow him to go somewhere else. Yeah, I think I'm close to the same stance as you. I think if they keep Barkley on the tag and play it out as if this will be, you know, his final year with the Giants or something like that, or, you know, maybe they'll let him test the market next year, whatever it may be. I'd actually be comfortable taking Charbonnet at 57 overall in the second round, because I believe there's a very good chance he could be the best player available by far at that pick. I am a big fan of drafting running backs in rounds two, three, or four. Personally, I'll even go five, six, seven. It doesn't matter. Just anything but round one. Again, I would never resign Charbonnet to a second deal. I'd be willing to tag him like they did Barkley, but I do think that he does profile as like somebody worth that type of pick at that range. I won't say that about really many players in this class, but Charbonnet, Bijan Robinson, these are players I would consider 57 overall. And in the third round, with that late third round pick that they have, I would definitely consider Charbonnet, even if they do go long-term with Barkley, because I think we saw from the Giants this year, yeah, they re-signed Breida, they have Brightwell, but more importantly, we saw that they will run Pony, and they're fine running Pony, getting that type of talent on the field. So even like a backfield with Barkley and Charbonnet on the field at the same time, I like. Or even if you sign Barkley long-term, I doubt there's going to be that much guaranteed money in that contract. I think it's probably going to be more like a one to, or I'm sorry, like a two-year deal that they can get out of in year three, similar to the Daniel Jones one, or even with less guaranteed money. So by that point, Charbonnet will be entering year three of his rookie contract, and you'll still get two more years out of him as the lead back, and he won't have as much tread on the tires because he was playing behind Barkley it's a luxury pick in round two in round three to me it's not as much of a luxury pick because I just look at the skill set of the players you draft in round three and there's so so many bust types there's so so many high upside guys that never reach their floor or their ceiling you know there's just to me once you get to round three you're mostly throwing darts at that point I used to think differently about the NFL draft Nick but as I've done this longer and longer I'm starting to think there's really just no no pick is safe outside of the top 50 and even in the top 50 if you're not going to go with certain positions you're taking risks like a lot of the corners taken in the top 50 end up busting a lot of the receivers taken in the top 50 end up busting the skills end up busting a lot um, so if you're not going like O-line 
which I guess with Hernandez, it did actually bust that one time, but if you're not going like O-line running back or those types of positions or linebacker in the top 50, there's a lot of busts anyway. So if I'm getting to that round three pick and Charbonnet still on the board, I'm willing to take a short thing that I know will help this team rather than take another risk. And I know there's some problem with that is there's obviously some opportunity cost lost there by not taking a corner or wide receiver or something like that. I feel like that's a commendable take. My contention with it would be this is a deep running back class. And if True. if Saquon Barkley is coming back, I wouldn't want to spend that type of capital on him, or at least I'd be hesitant to. It also depends on who else is available. I think the Giants still need a lot of depth along this roster. What I mean by depth is guys who you're more than likely going to rely on to start by year two, a la a Josh Azudu and a Cordell Flott from last year's draft. So that's where I push back maybe a little bit on a Zach Charbonnet if Saquon Barkley will be back for the foreseeable future for three years, whatever it is. But overall, I do really appreciate the player, and I think he's going to be a good football player. It kind of comes down to that running back value thing, which we've talked about a lot on on this podcast. For sure, and that's obviously in my mind as well. I guess in the past, I would have never considered it. I guess just now, I just the more I think about it, you mentioned like Flot and Azudu, right? I don't even know if these guys are guaranteed starters by any means. We They're want not. them to be, but that's the problem. As you get into round three of the NFL draft, there's just not any guarantees to me. Like Matt Pear is nothing. He was drafted. We had all these high hopes for him. He's nothing. A lot of these third rounders Giants have taken through the years ended up being not even just like reliable or like decent to bad starters, just nothing. Just like depth that you never play. Sam Beal type, you know, like whatever it is, even like, um, you know, as you dip into the early part of round four. So I just start to look at it a little bit differently as far as where we're going with, um, you know, what can impact the team right away. And I know this is a player, one of the rare players in this class who can impact the team right away. So I guess round two is a little too rich for my blood too. round three. I start to consider it. Um, but obviously, like you said, I'd be much more likely to use a pick on a running back on day one or two if Barkley is not part of the long-term future. And I'll tell you this, if the giants do select Zach Charbonnet or running back in the second round, says a lot about Saquon Barkley's standing with this franchise long-term. I think if that were to happen, Saquon Barkley's done after this season. For sure. And a lot of people hear that and be like, you guys are the biggest believers in offensive line and trenches over skill players. And I agree with that. But again, it goes back to what we said, I think that top of the last show, like we're not just drafting positions like to draft positions. You need to find the right guys. And if they don't like any of those interior offensive linemen around that time, and they feel like this guy can impact the team right away, or anyone can impact the team right away, they got to go with a player who they think can be impact the team right away. They got to go with a safer, sure evaluation. That goes across the draft at all picks they have until you get to the late rounds, I think, because then you could start to throw more darts. So we'll see what happens, but just thought it was interesting. All right. That's all we have for today on Zach Charbonnet, the running back out of UCLA, a player who is my RB2 overall and Nick's RB2 overall in this class, which is a little breaking from consensus. The consensus RB2 in this class is Jamar Gibbs. We both have Charbonnet, so we're both pretty excited about him. But again, we both don't really see the fit for the Giants. Nick wouldn't entertain him until maybe round three. I wouldn't entertain him until maybe round two, but more likely round three. And neither of us are really interested in using a round two or three pick on him. I'll, I'll agree with you on that, Nick. I think you, you made some really good points that kind of swayed my opinion toward the end if they re-sign Barkley to a long-term deal. All right, that's all we have for today on the Big Blue Banter podcast. Zach Charbonnet, running back out of UCLA. Keep it locked and loaded. Next week, we will be hitting a lot of draft content and we'll be running all the way through the draft. I think by next week, there'll be like just over maybe 31 days or 32 days left in the NFL draft. So it's coming. We're on our way. Have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.